the band. Let's go, boys. Please hang up and try again. couple past days uh traffic and ice and snow and good grief but guess what we're just uh two weeks away uh and a wake up from uh boondoggle that's right we are headed to crooked river state park in saint mary's georgia and we will be Boondoggle in there, old school style. I know we got like uh, 40 or so folks that uh, are planning on showing up, maybe some more. All the uh, campsites and stuff, or at least last time I looked, were, uh, were booked. I'll check that out here in just a second. Let me uh, say hello to my co-host, and, uh, man with the golden voice, uh, Mr. Like I say, it's always are. fun. That moment of anticipation is always fun to see what it's actually going to be. What's it going to be? Yeah. I mean, we could go Ranger Rick and... Yeah. I don't have the Groundhog Day music, though. <laughs> and I was looking for it for about five minutes <laughs> for the show. My network connection was really slow. Like... Oh, man. It's Groundhog Day this weekend. Hey, is it Groundhog Day this weekend? I know, right? So I had a great chat before the show with uh, a new listener and a new friend uh, from uh, up Chattanooga, Tennessee way, uh, Joe Miller. I think that's who it was. Let me double-check my uh, notes here. Mr. Miller. Yes, Joe Miller, and uh, he is a... A member of the uh, um, Kayak Wars team, the Chattanooga Chummers, and also participates in a new group that uh, started up there called uh, the uh, Chattanooga Yak Bass Yak Ambassadors or Yak Bassers, and uh, they got a little series going on up there doing some. Uh, some bass fishing out of their kayaks, and uh, they're uh, fishing out of Lake Chickamauga. So pretty good stuff up there. And he was just kind of checked in and wanted to know what we'd be talking about tonight. And I asked him, well, what do you want to hear about? And he's a bass fisherman who started kayak fishing, and uh, 
He's kind of prepping up and stuff. Uh, unfortunately, won't be uh, joining us at the Boondoggle or at AFWC, but uh, he was interested in kind of knowing what we do for uh, prepping for cold water kayaking. All right? He doesn't want to get cold. None of us do, really. So um, we're going to chat a little bit about that tonight. We're going to talk, like I said, we've got uh, Boondoggle here in a couple of weeks. And uh, then the week after that, we've got the AFWC, the Adventure Fishing World Championship. And uh, we'll be chatting about that stuff and get through some other, kind of like I told them here, you know, this is Thursdays on Buzzards Row, and we kind of get to pick through the roadkill for the week and uh, see what's going on. Let me say hi to some folks in the uh, chat room. There's Chris from Pensacola. Hey, buddy, how are you? Uh, Guest 3931, if you're listening in, you can log in with your uh, so any social media account. It should take it and get you in so you can participate in the chat room. And I think Jim is logged in there, so let me go ahead and... Oh, looky here. Oh, my gosh, it's the bearded one. Rob, how are you, man? Hey, what's up? What do you mean, what's up, man? Where have you been? I've been working, man. I'm busy. I how thought you guys you doing? won the lottery and done run off to the island somewhere, <laughs> man. No, not quite. Not quite. The bad back pass has entered the room. That's right. <laughs> oh, stop. How are I'm you? Just, uh, I'm fantastic, man. Freezing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, I was uh, I was up there right next to Lake Chickamauga there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, freezing cold, twenty six degrees. It was uh, it was pretty awesome actually. <clears throat> and what what pray tell were you doing up there? I was filming, man. You didn't see my latest video. Oh, I did, man. I was just giving you a plug. You know, that's kind of the lead-in, you know. That's how we do things on the radio. Don't you guys do that film, video? I ask you a question, and then you plug your show or your, your video. Yeah. No, um, okay, I did a – it was a, it's a wintertime kayak fishing uh, for bass with, uh, with Bridget Howard. And uh, it's just a little two-and-a-half-minute video. It's on the uh, Yaktastic uh, Adventures Vimeo page. And uh, it was fun, man. I mean, it was, we caught she. Well, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't really fish that much, man. I was too busy filming her yanking fish, you know, and good fish too. Not not a whole lot, but uh, but really good fish. I mean, this one looked like a football with a literally. I'm I'm not kidding you. It looked like a football with a with a tail and a and a largemouth bass face. It was it was amazing. <laughs> And Chris has plugged up your, uh, I think, uh, video in the chat room there. Oh, folks who are listening there. Yeah. So what else you been up to, man? Just, I'm just doing that, man. I mean, I've uh, been doing a lot of filming stuff, man. Um, stuff that's not out yet, but it's coming. And uh, just pretty much that's it. I mean, I, I pretty much am living it, you know. Just been living it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in a so kayak all up, the time. Have you given up hustling get, water bills for the city of Tampa? Not yet, but uh, 
Uh, well, by the looks of it, uh, uh, by summer, July. Really? Uh, frame. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. But um, I'm you know it's just uh it's good to hear you guys, man. I haven't had a chance to listen to a show or, you know, really. I spend a lot of time in kayaks and stuff, but I don't get a chance to fish that much. But you're out there. So, that's filming, right? I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was uh, I'm actually fishing on Saturday with uh with Chris Flores. Believe it or not, he's he's over here in my neck of the woods, and um, the uh, the trout bite in St. Joseph is just unbelievable. You know, it used to be you'd go out there and catch a 20-incher, and you'd be like, oh, wow, check this out, man, it's a monster. And then I got, like, spoiled by the East Coast trout, and then now it's starting to get that way over here, especially in St. Joseph. We were, we were over there a couple of weeks ago, and they were just cruising the flats, uh, me and uh, Jim Schaefer were over there and uh, Derek Burgos. And, um, it, it, I mean, I have, me personally, I've never seen that ever where we saw probably two dozen over 20-inch trout, uh, probably close over 25-inch trout, I would say, just cruising the flats, you know. Like, they were all together. It was it was crazy. Never seen it before like that. It was awesome. Hmm. Yeah, I have to put that on my list here, man. Okay, all right. So, what else have you been up to, man? That's about it, man. Just filming. And I didn't. I didn't see you on the Grammys or the Golden Globes or anything like that yet. Uh, so. No, um, both both films, uh, Everyday Push and Bass on the Road, are in the Real Paddling Film Festival. Um, you just every everybody has to order them uh, for their stop. <laughs> Uh, so okay. we're stoked about that, and uh, just been working on stuff, man. Just, just you know, takes a lot of time and effort, and you know, what else do I have to do? Right. <laughs> that and How water you bills. Been, man? <laughs> How you been? Oh man, it's uh, well, I I'm getting older, and uh, the uh, the weather's getting colder, and. Uh, I'm waiting for the clone to uh, finish high school so that I can just chase the thermometer, you know. Wherever it's 70 degrees, that's where I'm going to go. So, um, I, saw a, I saw a post on Facebook today. There's an island for sale at uh, right, right, right off of Marathon right there, a couple of hundred yeah. yards off of uh, Marathon. And uh, right. I think it's .5 acres, and it was uh, 990000 I'll, I got my nice, Powerball ticket, man. I'll keep my fingers crossed. Nice little, nice little house on it and stuff, you know. No water yeah. or electric, but who needs uh, that stuff? I just signed a binder on that today. I'm sorry, guys. I oh, don't mean to, but man. Yeah, I just, you just missed it. You're all welcome anytime, though. Yeah, we put a big tower on it and some flashing yeah. lights and stuff, yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. But, dude, yeah, you want to talk about cold weather stuff. Um I I have I don't know if I ever fished in that or was in a kayak. I wasn't really fishing. I had a rod, but I wasn't really fishing. Um, uh-huh. I don't think I've ever been out in a kayak in that cold of weather uh, ever. It was uh, 26 degrees with a 25 mile an hour wind, and it was like 
17 degrees, 18 degrees, wind chill. Yeah. <laughs> That's just too much, man. I don't... Yeah. Uh, we 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 took uh, Sam's boat out on the first of January. I think it was like forty five degrees, and it was it was cold, but it wasn't that cold, man. <laughs> and it's of course you've been in the area, so you know it's been really cold up here. I mean, we were down to I think when I got up this morning, it was eight. So well, I'm glad to see that you survived snowpocalypse up there in Atlanta. Yes, I did. I I successfully survived, and uh, um, but uh, yeah. So we're just uh, we're just saying we're getting ready. To, you know, we got the boondoggle coming up. We're going to be in Crooked River, over in St. Mary's. Uh, that's uh, two weeks, and uh, then uh, AFWC. We're going to see you down there, man. You going to show up for that? Yeah, um, actually, I'm going down uh, there. I'm not fishing. But um, I'm going to be there with uh, with Daryl Bars from the Fisherman's Journal, and uh, we're going to take a whole lot of pictures. Oh, cool! Cool. So, so the, we're we're staying with uh, we're camping with Jean McElroy. Okay. All right. I know her and Tony are fishing. So um, yeah. Me and the clone are going to be there. Wait till you see the clone, man. He's uh. He's, <laughs> he's like huge. Two He's he's six two, man. I mean, he's crazy. Wow. Know? That was so funny, you know, like the first boondoggle he was like, you know, maybe five foot tall and then like boondoggle two he was like, you know, almost six foot. <laughs> what are you what are you giving that kid? Miracle grow? <laughs> he eats Skittles a lot, but I guess there's something in Skittles, yeah. I don't know. Taste the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> Must be it, man. I don't know. So, anyways, that's cool. Let me say hi to our buddy up in North Atlanta, Mr. Jim. Hello, Mr. Jim. How's it going, Chip? You survived some apocalypse? You know, I survived, but the wife ended up spending the night at a fire station two 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 miles from the house with 50 of her closest (laughs) friends. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah, and she said the the, the floor was hard and cold. I bet it was. Tile on concrete. Yeah, that was a... After eight hours in the car, she decided that and finding out that the road of Holcomb Bridge was unpassable, her and a bunch of the people in their cars in front of the fire station all went into the fire station. They're like, the heck with it. So she made a bunch of new friends, and um, she said she's not going to do that again. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I got out... um, they they released us from work about at noon, and I got down in front of the airport as a BMW 700 series was uh, in the left lane. I was in the center lane in a tractor trailer with a flatbed, nothing on it, in the right lane. And we started going up a little overpass over, I think it's, uh, was it Washington Road there at the south side of the airport? And... <laughs> That that truck started jackknifing, man, as we were going up that bridge. And right. he got right in front of the BMW. I had already slowed down. I had the truck in four-wheel drive, so I had pretty good traction. And the BMW hit the front of the truck and then bounced off the wall. And I went between oh, no. the two of them. And I think that's what started. The, I think at that point, everything behind me stopped. So 
I was the last car, I think, to go down 85 before it just got to be a, a roadblock, man. So. And what time was what time was this? That was right about. That was probably about 12:30, quarter to one, maybe one o'clock. So and, my wife has a good friend that now works on the north side at Northridge, uh-huh. and she lives in Peachtree City, and she left. Yeah. 20 hours to get to her house, going down 85. Now we know why. Yeah, that was it, man. That started it. Of course, mm-hmm. I could see all the trucks going up on the exit to 285 West, and they were all jackknifing mm-hmm. as they were going up that hill, and it was like, oh, man, this is going to get ugly. But like I said, I had mm-hmm. the truck in four-wheel drive, and that big rascal just carried me on. Made it to the house, got the clone in. The wife took her, took her an hour in five minutes to come from her office to the house, which is only six miles away from us, down in Peachtree City. Mm-hmm. Yep. But anyways, so that was fun, and uh, the the governor and the mayor, they're all taking heat for it. And uh, But we're going to talk about – we're going to talk about some other cold weather. And we're going to talk about fishing in the cold, man, because we got folks that uh, – <laughs> That are that are wanting we we may actually see some cold weather uh, in two weeks. I'm hoping that uh, we're going to see a warming spell, but we've got uh, two weeks before the boondoggle, and then we'll be down at AFWC. See, Chris just posted a nice picture of the Emerald Coast chapter. All right, and uh, what do we do? What do we do to prep for cold water and? Uh, Let's see, Mr. Becker, you recently participated in an event where the outside air temperature was somewhere in the mid-30s to upper to low 40s, and water temps were cold, and there were some people actually swimming in the water. But yourself, what do you do to... Were they nuts? I know, those guys were nuts, man. So, So what did you do? How did you keep yourself warm? Um... I, th- I think two of the biggest things that most people don't, you know, everybody knows about don't wear cotton. Uh, people still do it, but everybody supposedly knows about don't wear cotton. But aside from, you know, dressing your body well and understanding that your legs are going to get wet from paddle drip and your wrists are going to get wet and everything else, um, the two things that I saw the most out there that I talked to people afterwards that didn't do, they didn't keep their heads warm. Um, you know, I thought everybody learned that in grade school when you had to wear those stupid little hats your mom made. That uh-huh. the reason you wore those is because you know the vast majority of your heat goes out through your head, um, and the other thing is that people don't tend to hydrate as much uh, when they're doing a uh, you know a physical activity. They drink when it's hot because they get thirsty, but a lot of people skip the fact that their body uh, in low humidity, their body actually uh, you know loses almost as much uh, water through uh, you know the evaporation and everything else. Uh, and through their lungs having to moisturize the dry air when it's cold. Uh, lose a lot of moisture that way, and people actually get uh, borderline dehydrated on colder days because they don't drink as much. So if you're going to be spending the time out, uh, just another thing to keep in mind aside from, you know, wear your, wear your woolies and, and dress in layers. Mm-hmm. We have a grape the size of mine. I mean, I have to have a pretty good substantial cover on my head because if I don't, the amount of heat that escapes from it will turn any hat into like a hot air balloon and it will start rising up off of my head. So, but, um, 
Yeah, the 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 heat from your head and the uh, the uh, the dehydration factor is huge. I mean, and then you know your body has a natural reaction when it starts getting cold, and of course they were they've been showing it on TV for the past couple of days. You've been watching um, anything other than the the snowmageddon stories that have been happening, but they were been taking those thermal cameras, you know, and showing people. You know what it looks like when you know you're on a, a thermal camera. And initially, when you you get out into the cold, your the blood is taken, you know, out to your extremities and everything. Well, when you start getting cold, the first thing that your body does is shut down the blood to your extremities to keep the core temperature warm. So that's why your fingers and your feet start to get cold. So you got to keep the core temperature warm that keeps the blood flowing out to your feet and your hands and uh keep you feel warmer and the biggest thing is just to stay dry because you get wet and then you're just miserable so there's not much going on there we got another caller here three two one i think that's the that's the other bearded one in the area yeah that, all this talk to all this talking about cold, you obviously need to move down here. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, you people, you're you're going to pay for that later. Karma will get you, man. Just enjoying all that heat and sunshine and everything down there. Yeah, you can watch like people say the F word, and they'll be, a, you know, they'll be an orange right. kill all the way down to Lake Okeechobee. Go ahead, get me get me riled up, and I'll say the word. <laughs> I'll say the word, man, and you guys will all have bad weather for weeks. Um, I'll just threaten to come down there and fish with you. No. Hey. So what's going on, Chuck? Not much. Just uh, hanging out here at the Levi household. Figured I'd give you a call, Adam. Called your show in a long time, so I figured I'd just be like, oh, no, I guess I don't know. It's like it's like you know old school night, man. Guess who else is on the call? Who else? The bad backcast is here. What? Yeah, he's here, man. Take it off mute, Rob. Say hi. Yo, you got me, Mister Mr. Devore. That's him, man. The great filmmaker. You know, he's come to see us after hanging out with Cecil B. and all the boys. And I heard uh, the man with the golden voice there just a second ago. That would right. be correct. Excellent. So yeah, we got we got Rob Devore, the bad backcast. We got Redfish Chuck, man. This is like old old. Uh, you know, it's Throwback Thursday, man. It's throwback Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect, right? Indeed. Oh. So man, how's the how's the new shop coming along, Chuck? Uh, it's uh it's a lot of fun, man. It's uh, it's coming. It's coming along actually a lot, a lot further along than what I would have anticipated when we first opened up. Um we brought in this past week we brought in T-Bore fly reels. Um, Reddington should be here to hopefully either tomorrow or beginning of next week. Um, I just went by the Renzetti factory and picked up a couple of Renzetti vices and all kinds of Renzetti tools and getting ready to place our order for 
fly tying material and a line, a line spooler and bulk, bulk spools of braid so we can do, uh, you know, line winding and all that kind of thing. But, uh, man, it's, it's pretty awesome, not going to lie. Like, it's pretty cool to go to work every day and, and get to dabble in things that I love to do. So, Don't be getting in all them feathers and stuff, man. Hey, hey, hey. I think I've I've made another boa. <laughs> I I have re, reconstructed a boa that may or may not show itself at the Adventure Fishing World Championship. Well, there's a reason to go, if nothing else. There, there you go, right? I mean, Absolutely. just show up to see the redfish chucks boa. Rob, you're back yeah. on, man. I saw you drop off there. Yo, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Rob's gonna have a camera down there, so Rob, if you want to see, if you want, if you want to document for the rest of the world how to keep people off the same flat that you're on, follow me when I put on the boa. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Some, oh see, man. See, here's the thing. Things are getting tough here in the Mosquito Lagoon area. All right, it's getting busy. Kayak sales through the roof. There's more kayakers on the water now than I've ever seen in my entire life. More boaters. You got to figure out a way to distract people, or to absolutely terrify them. So, you know, just so it so it's the boa and nothing else. Well, yes, but the boa is actually has been constructed as an undergarment. Oh man! Right. Yeah, I'll sleep better tonight. It's not good. It's not good when that happens. But, mm. you know, you bust out the boa and you're standing on top of a cooler in the middle of a flat on top of a kayak, push-pulling across a flat. Most grown men will not come your way, therefore leaving you with all the fish. Yeah. Something like That's that. That's a visual I didn't need. Hey, <laughs> you know, sometimes. Yeah, I'll be right back. i got to go pour some acid in my eyes. I'll be back. Yeah, I know, right? No worries. Oh. No worries. Chuck, now we're tonight's tonight's subject matter was fishing in cold weather gear, man. I don't think your Perfect. boa Yeah. It's just not gonna work. Clam boa. Yeah, it's a down boa. Yeah, there, yeah right? the boa does not work, no. I actually like where you know what? This is like my favorite time of year, man, to fish, honestly, because I really enjoy waiting. And I really enjoy waiting when the water's nice and cold. And right now, for us, it's cold, and uh, the fish are getting really active in the late afternoon, evening hours of the day. So, you know, wearing warm weather gear is definitely essential when you're getting in the water. And, you know, lately, water temperature here is really low. I'm not real sure exactly what it is, but I know it's super cold. And, you know, the air temperature lately has been, well, not very consistent. One day it'll be 80, the next day it's... 50 or 30 or 40 or whatever but um you know standard issue like i like I, we talked about you know last winter for me is uh a pair of waders underneath the waders i've got on a pair of fishing pants just kind of like you know sims pants or columbia pants whatever and um i always wear socks i don't know why i've, I've always worn socks underneath my waders too um and then uh uh, usually a performance T-shirt, you know, long sleeve performance shirt, um, with a cotton shirt on top of that, long sleeve cotton shirt, and a, and a hooded sweatshirt on the cold mornings. 
and a beanie hat to keep my head warm. And I think that uh, the the thing that a lot of guys, especially in our area, and, and we try to tell people, like, lately we've actually had to cancel people from renting kayaks because it's just too stinking cold. In fact, we just had uh, this, one of the world's largest birding festivals here in Titusville, and Hobie was going to put on this big demonstration and have um, uh, this guy who who's, for lack of a better term, is like the rock star of birding, if there's such a thing. Um, he was in town, and he was going to take these people out in Hobies to show them birds and do all this stuff, whatever. And Hobie and us, we kind of decided, you know, it's too stinking cold, man. You just can't put people out there in these kayaks. And most of the folks are older folks that go birding. And, uh, you know, if they, one of them, God forbid, should fall in the water, hypothermia truly is an issue here in Florida. And, uh, you know, but like I say, I've always told people, you know, put on more clothes than you think you're going to need. You can always sh- uh, shred them and sh- shed them off. Um, and if you don't bring them, you can't put them on to stay warm. So there you go. And the the beard is important to stay warm. Is that correct? Yes. Beard shorter now than it was, but uh, yes, the beard definitely helps to keep your cheeks nice and warm. It is true. Did you know that those come in man size? The, the beards that, come the beard? in man size? <laughs> yeah. Dude, listen, beard is a man size. You, you either grow one and you're a man, or you can't grow one and you're a little boy or a woman. So that's that. Now, I'm I think some women. I know. I understand that, that there's men out there that can't have beards because of their line of work. That's acceptable. If you have to shave every day to keep your beard down, that's okay. But. If you if you have no job requirements to make you shave your face and you don't have a beard on your face, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Right, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> Rob's like, I didn't even say that. Rob, I'm here. Mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, how hey. about how about some ink? You got new ink, Rob? Uh, yeah. I, well, I got one in September. I don't know if uh-huh. that's if I've called in since then. It's uh, a tarpon and uh, uh, seven skulls. Right. Yeah, I saw that. I think it's awesome, dude. Cool. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've seen you since then. I don't, know. I don't think so, man. I think the last time I... I, uh, I think the last time I saw you was at Cars last year. Or, no, AFWC. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, that was just the weekend after, so. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's been that long. So, so beard and some ink, man, and and you you're in the man club, huh? No, nah, ink's not necessary. It's not. Yeah. I thought Chuck was going to put like a thing. tattoo chair in the in the cave there, in the you know next hey. to Kike by Bose would be like. Good fishing. I actually, uh, I actually went to the Jacksonville Kayak Fishing Classic with the with the mindset that I'm going there not only to fish the tournament but to get a tattoo. Yeah. And it turned out that we ended up partying a little bit too long at the cap after the captain's meeting, and that never happened. But <laughs> I do have a uh, a tattoo in mind that I'd like to have eventually. I'm not in a hurry for it, but 
know, there's a little something I'd like to get done, but yeah, that's not a, that's not a prerequisite for showing off your manliness. A beard yeah. or facial beard. hair of some kind. That right. mustache you rock from time to time, Chip. That thing is epic. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Let's see. I got a week, two weeks. I can get that back. <laughs> <laughs> A two-week beer girl contest. Go. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, so back to our cold weather paddling, right? So you want to stay dry, right? And uh, I, I know, I think the first time that I uh, that I met you, Chuck, you were, we were there at the lagoon and you were wearing your waders, Waders are a good thing. If you don't own a pair of waders, you, you should you should invest in a, in a pair. I mean, well, you could get a decent pair of waders for a hundred hundred bucks if you keep your eyes open. You probably find them on sale at the big box store for fifty, sixty bucks, right? Yeah. I what what you need to sorry, good. I have a pair of togs that are in like the hundred dollar range that aren't bad. Yeah, they're, uh, they're they're pretty good. Um, not insulated though. Not, I mean, for Florida cold weather, they'd probably be fine. You know, they'll keep you dry. That's usually what you, you know, getting in and out of the water, keeping you dry, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but I was wearing those bad boys up in Tennessee, and and I had like three pairs of sweatpants on, and three pairs of socks, and four shirts, and all that stuff, and. And I wasn't warm the whole time. <laughs> so they make, you know, insulated waders, uh, you know, for that sort of deal if if you're up north or anywhere uh, north of Florida, as it were. Um, but, uh, it, you know, they'll probably cost you a little bit more. But, you know, um, I, I was really wishing I had one of those, like, deadliest catch survival suits. Yeah. And that was really what I think because... At one point, and you'll see in, in uh, uh, the Tennessee video number two, which is coming out, uh, I believe, on Monday, if I can get to editing it, actually, um, is going to be, uh, there was this, uh, uh, there's, around the Chattanooga area, there's a lot of whitewater, okay? And there's a lot of, uh, that, that whitewater culture is awesome up there. So, um, and, you know, it's funny because you see one of those uh, one of those whitewater boats, you know, and it's like, well, where do you put the rod holders at, you know? And, uh, you know, ha, ha, ha. And, uh, um, but it, there's, there was this place that we were, it was called Suck Creek, okay? <laughs> and I know it sounds funny, but um, it looked like something out of a Coors commercial or something or, a, a, you know, one of those type of commercials, you know, it's like uh, a a mountain-fed stream with, uh, you know, like just crystal clear blue water and and waterfalls and all that stuff. And we were kind of shooting there. I was, like, wading in that stuff, like, up to my waist, okay? And, yeah, exactly. That's 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 exactly what it looked like. And, um, you know, and I got the camera, like, you know, an inch above the water line and all that stuff and uh, filming that. And it was just, like, taking forever and, and... I, I tell you, it was like standing in a freezer, you know, with all, and believe it or not. I don't know what the water temperature was. I, I don't think it was freezing, but it was pretty dang close. <laughs> and I'll bet, I'll bet you didn't need bug spray. 
didn't need bug spray, no. However, yeah. here's the weird thing, which I, I don't know, maybe you guys are uh, smarter than me, and I'm sure that uh, probably Holly would be able to tell me, but I saw multiple turtles swimming around, believe it or not. Yeah. They, well, they're they're ectothermic, so they sit up on the rocks and they charge their little heat batteries up and they can move around. I see. Yeah. But I'm going to say the uh, – and so there's some chat going on in the chat room about long johns, flannel line jeans, wading pants underneath your waders. Um, fleece works good. There's some wicking and stuff, so if you do get some you, – you put all that gear on and you start sweating. you got to have some kind of a, a wicking layer to pull the moisture away from your skin so you stay dry. So it's not necessarily just – getting wet from being in the kayak or being in the water, but it's because you've got all those layers on. So I think it's important to note that you have that wicking layer and then maybe some fleece or something, something that might, you know, to keep the moisture away from your skin. And then, you know, don't get it so packed up tight, you know, like you you put on, you know, you're like uh, Ralphie there from uh, the Christmas story. Ralphie's little brother, you know, he's he can't even move his arms. He's just, you know, every little kid's nightmare, you know, all wrapped up and ready to go outside, and they just kind of waddle around because you got to have a little loft there, you know, you got to have a little bit of airspace. It's that like in your in, in your uh, uh, attic, you know, if the insulation is all packed down and stuff, there's no there's no airspace in there to get warm and all. I mean, if you're if you've ever worn neoprene suit, you know, like a, a wetsuit, when you first jump into water, it's cold because the water rushes in around your skin and everything. But once that is warm by your body, then it stays warm. You stay warm in that wetsuit. So, uh, so don't don't put on so many layers and then you know pull your waders on and now you got to waddle. You look like a weeble going to your kayak, you know. <laughs> you can't bend your legs or anything, you know. So, but uh, yeah. So, um, there's a couple of sites that I look for, and actually, right now, there's a couple of good deals. Uh, uh I know over at Austin Kite, because Chuck's shop probably doesn't carry any cold weather gear for kayaking, right, Chuck? No, no. That he carries things like you know, they don't, no, no. No razors or anything like that. So, I mean, <laughs> but uh, uh, Austin Kayak, they got a uh, Stolquist Splashdown Spray Top, which is a nice piece of gear. It's kind of like a windbreaker, but it's got neoprene cuffs on it, and it's got that kind of layered with the uh, polyester mesh lining to keep the moisture away from your body. And that's regularly like 130 bucks. And I think they got it on sale now for like $89. I mean, it's still expensive, but it's a nice piece of gear to have if you're going to be out there in the cold and wet. Um, I actually thought, and I don't know if anybody's got one of these, because I don't know, we're all here in the South and everything. I should get Greg Crisp on the, on the line one night and ask him about cold weather. I'm sure those guys, and I thought Matt Trucks might be calling in, Yak Chum, but... uh. You know, they some of those guys wear dry suits, but I was thinking, hey. you know, you, you know, they. Uh, I saw there was I was watching WFN the other day, and they had like 
a show on from like Oregon or up in Canada there and stuff. And they were out on a boat and they were do- mooching for salmon or something, kings, silver kings, and they were wearing float coats. So you got this nice big parka and everything that actually has the buoyancy rating of uh, of a legal class PFD. You know that's a pretty cool idea there. You know, so if you're if you're going to be fishing in a lot of cold water, and we don't spend that much time in the cold water around here, so. Um, but what were you going to say, Chuck? I was going to say, uh, going back to waders, though, something that I think is important to let everybody know, um, when you buy your waders, don't put them away, per se, in the wintertime, I mean, in the summertime. Um, it's important to practice getting out of them if you should fill them up with water. There's a lot of people who don't think about that, but if you're out in six, seven, eight, ten foot of water, whatever, in your kayak and you're wearing waders to stay warm and you fall out of your kayak and that those waders fill up full of water, they're going to sink you like a rock. So you got to be able to get yourself out of the waders in a timely fashion. And what I, what I try to, you know, get people to do is just in the, in the spring or summer, get in your swimming pool, get in a buddy's swimming pool and stand in the shallow end where like, you know, you're obviously the waders shouldn't be underwater in the shallow end unless you're Adam Hayes. Then walk your way towards the deep end. Sorry, Adam, if you're listening, buddy, but I miss you. So anyway, uh, walk your way towards the deep end until you, yeah, until you fill your waders up and literally get out of your waders and swim out of them because it's important to, to do that. Last, uh, not last year, uh, two years ago, we had a guy down in the south end of Bard County drowned in the river while fishing, stepped into a big old hole in the river, and that was that. And about four, oh, it was probably about six years back, <clears throat> we had a father-son duo that, uh, that both of them passed away as they were waiting. They, the father stepped into a hole, the son went to try and help him, and they both sunk. And, and that was that. So, um, you know, there's, there's great advantages to having them and, and even, even worse disadvantages to, to wearing them and not know how to get out of them if you have to do so. So... Yeah. There's one thing. Waiting um, belt. Yes, thank you. I was just going to say that. Waiting belt. Waiting belt will help out a, a lot in that regard and wearing your PFD. Um, when I when I lived in upstate New York and we used to salmon fish uh, on the St. Lawrence River, I believe. Um, I was a kid. I don't I don't remember exactly, but that was a very real possibility. And um, I remember, you know, my dad would always cinch me up really super tight where it was like, you know, you almost couldn't breathe, you know. And he's like, you know, you fall in the the rocks were really slippery and everything. So it's like, you know, if you uh if you take a dive, you know, you, you have a little bit of a chance of getting out of it. And back then, you know, the waders weren't the high tech ones like they have today. I mean they were basically like, you know, rubber galoshes that were bigger, you know. <laughs> so, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Waiting belt definitely comes in handy. Someone else? Yeah, I was just going to say when you Go talk ahead, about Jim. the when you talk about the when you talk about the waders, usually for kayaking, we use the rubber boot attached to the wader, so you're not in the separate boots like they wear when they're fishing. They wear the separate felt bottom boots or felt bottom with spikes, and that sometimes where that rubber boot attaches to the wader can get a little pinhole in it. So 
you know, before you start the season, you want to check your waders, sit in a tub full of warm, warm water with your waders and check for little pinholes where the boot joins the wader. And if you're in really, really cold water and you still want to stay in waders instead of a dry suit, you know, you can get the neoprene waders in the 2 mil or the 3 mil, and you'll, I mean, you'll sweat to death in those things. I don't care how cold the water is. Um, I mean, they're just, the thin waders are nice. They're more versatile. You just have to wear some good, uh, some good Kaplan's or Long John's under your, your pants when you're in those things. But those neoprenes, i got a set of neoprenes for the winter. And, man, I mean, you'll have to come out of them. You'll get so hot. If you get in too warm water and you're in your waders and you put your hand in there, does it get warm inside the waders too? No, I'm sorry. That one didn't go well. That's how you get your wetsuit warm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that in your neoprene waders. That'd be a bad day all the way around. Unless you're just really, really drunk and you can blame it on that, right? Hey. You blame a lot of things on being really, really drunk. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's you, a reason. Um, it's a reason. It's not an excuse. <laughs> in the in the winter time too, I tend to wear um, a normal PFD as opposed to my inflatable PFD that I've now kind of chosen to wear in the summertime um, because that's just another layer of warmth as well for us down here. And you know, you can you can. You know, take that thing off and put on a inflatable as the sun gets higher and higher, or whatever. Um, that's what's nice about having a lot of storage in my boat. Is hey, what are you doing? Is um, be sorry, squirrel. Uh, is being able to uh, carry extra gear with me from time to time, stuff that I might not normally bring with me, um, like an extra PFD or you know whatever. So dry dry clothes. That's come in handy a couple of times. I think I think one of the things you brought up, Chuck, and it's real important to emphasize, is you know whatever gear you're going to have with you on your kayak, if it's attached to your body or you're going to have it with you, you need to at some time or another in an area where you're safe and comfortable and you've got a buddy or two there to help you out but some place that you can try it out, be it in a shallow end of a swimming pool or uh, in, you know, in a, in a pond somewhere where there's a good bottom and you're not going to get stuck. And you, like I said, you've got some friends there to help you out. And, and we, you know, we have, we have a pool. So when the spring comes and we open a pool, we go grab our kayaks and we throw them in the pool and we all jump in and we practice and, and, getting in and out of the kayak and you do it a couple of times in the shallow water and then you go to the deep end and you try a deep water entry and exit because I'm going to tell you that the first time you fall out of a kayak and there ain't no bottom there, you're going to think twice about either not having your PFD on or wearing those fancy boots or <laughs> whatever it is that you that you put and brought with you and tied to yourself and uh, now you're over the side. Um, but it's really important that you take that, you take whatever you have. And if you have not, if you're fishing in a kayak and you've never jumped out of that kayak and tried to get back in it, especially in deep water, you need to do that. I would strongly recommend that you do that before your next season of fishing because uh, it will be it, it's it would be very beneficial and you'll learn something. 
Um, also, let um, me tell you a little story about that. Okay. That was part of my son's uh, training before I would take him out fishing in the kayak. Uh, that was part of his training in the pond in the backyard. Uh, we took the boat out. You know, he paddled the boat around a little bit, and then, uh, you know, I had him tip the kayak over, and we went out deep enough that he was, uh, you know, over his head, and. Uh, you know, tip the boat over, get out, hang on to the kayak, it's upside down, here's how you rewrite it, uh, you know, get it back upright, have him get back into the boat, and that was all well and good, but just as his rear end hit the seat after him getting him back in the boat, I tipped the kayak over and dumped him out, you know, and got him into the water with his mouth open and not expecting it and everything else, um, and, uh, you know, he was irritated at me, but he did it right, got back in and everything was fine. Uh, two weeks later, my wife and I were in the canoe. He was in that kayak, and my daughter was in another kayak. It was a very windy day, uh, and we were back in some of the back channels at Simmons Park. And my wife is not a really adept canoeer, and uh, in the wind, we just had too much, too much freeboard, and we're getting pushed around. Uh, really couldn't manage the boat, so we had made the decision to turn back. And Robert's uh, rod got caught in the mangroves and as he turned sideways to the wind and leaned for the rod the wind caught the side of that little kayak and tipped him into the water and chip you know it was right down on the corner from where you were camping you know how deep the water is down there oh yeah i was pinned up, i was pinned up against the mangroves 15 feet away couldn't you know it happened behind my back couldn't see him and my wife and daughter watched my daughter got over there quick but he did exactly what he was supposed to do held onto the boat got himself, you know, organized, flipped the boat back over, got back into the kayak, lost a rod and reel because it wasn't tethered in, but that could have gone very differently if if he hadn't had the practice. So I can't emphasize that enough, especially with kids, you know. Um, teach them what it's like to be in the water uh, when you don't intend to be. Um, he was mad at me when it happened, you know, when we did it on purpose, but after that day, at the park, when he wound up in the water by accident, um, he was very grateful for uh, for having learned that. So, All right, we're getting a little feedback from your uh, from your from yours there, Rob. So, oh, feedback. sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, but uh, Chuck, you had something to add to that? Yeah. Um, as well as winter starts to kind of hopefully soon enough die off, we'll hope that groundhog does his thing. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot of new boats that have come out on the market, you know, over the, the winter time, over the holidays and whatnot, and people are pretty excited about getting out and trying some boats. I, I highly recommend that if anyone listening is thinking about purchasing a new boat, um, whether it be like anything new, like let's say like the Big Rig from Jackson or the, the Ride X or any of those, like the, the Predator, any of those big stable boats, those really wide, really stable boats, if you go out and you're going to demo those things, Bring, your set, bring yourself a set of clothes with you that you are okay with getting wet and do just what, you, what these guys are saying. I mean, get out there on the demo day. Tell the guy you're demoing the boat with that, listen, I want to get out there. I want to roll it over, and I want to try and get back in it because before you buy it, make sure you can handle it. I mean, they, we're talking the days of, of like, the, the Wilderness Tarpon 120s and the, the uh, Native Redfish, you know, 12s and 14s that are nice, 
sleek, easy to roll back over boats are going away. Most of these boats now are weighing up to and around 80, 80 to 85 to even up to 100 pound class. It, it's not a small feat to turn some of those things back over again. So um, we definitely highly recommend going, especially coming to our shop, that, that you understand that, that you know that's that's a really true possibility of rolling these things over, especially down here with our our large goofy mammals that like to call our waterways home that tend to love to flip kayakers out of their kayaks. So you know it's you know the emphasis on that part of the safety it, it can't be any stronger. And uh, you know and I, I you don't see a lot of it. You see every now and again you'll see a, an article that's written about you know getting back in your kayak or whatever, or there might be a how-to on YouTube or whatever. But through kayak clubs and, and, and tournament series and things like that, there's just never that emphasis on you know make sure you can re-enter, re-enter your boat. We had a guy, funny story. I mean this is this is karma at its best. We had a guy that uh, came to test out his. Um, <coughs> He came to test out a uh, a Revolution 13 and came dressed in his work clothes, which, whatever, and uh, got in the the boat, pedaled off, was racing around, having a good old time. Uh, We had uh, had told him, listen, if you get that thing really, really moving and you you cut that rudder real hard, uh, sometimes the wake that is created from that boat moving and the turn of the boat itself will actually flip the boat over, will turtle it. So you got to be careful, got to be careful. We're telling him, I know, I know, I'm the kayaker, blah, 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 blah. So he gets out there, sure enough, what does he do? He gets racing as fast as he can. Nope, he wasn't wearing a TFD. He had it behind him in, this, in, you know, in the little well behind him. We told him to put it on, and he had it on for a second, took it off, put it back there. Races off, turns the rudder to the left, rolls the boat. He's in full work clothes. Man works at Subway restaurants. <laughs> he's in black black pants, black boots. You know, just he's just drenched, and he is panicking like nobody's business because he didn't know what to do. didn't didn't have a clue what he was supposed to do. How do I get back in the boat? Um, we didn't take the time to tell him to stand up because, you know, there was only about three foot of water. But he's sitting there <laughs> flailing around the water for a second like a like a beached whale or something, and uh, finally he realizes, oh, look, I can touch the bottom. He stands up. He gets back to the bank, and he told me, he's like, I was, he's like, I was terrified because I didn't know what to do. Well, there you go. You know, it's just another example of, you know, you got, you got to you gotta know these things. You have to ingrain them in people's minds, you know. Even with Trey, my little one, when I take him out in the water, I've had him out in the, in the PA a couple of times. You know, in the summertime this past summer, I take him, I pick him up, and I just drop him over the side of the boat. <laughs> I do. I drop him over the side of the boat. He's got a PFD on, so he's good. But I make him climb back in the kayak because if he's sitting behind me and he falls out of the boat, it's going to be a little harder for me to, to turn around and grab a hold of him. He needs to know how to get back in the boat, and we practice that. You know, it, it can save your life one day. Yeah, yep. it could. And uh, so there's a there was a quick comment in the chat room. We got a couple of guests in there listening in. If you guys want to participate, you could sign in in the, uh, um, with any, uh, social media account, you should be able to participate in the chat room. But, uh, Chris Johnson there from, uh, Pensacola, he was asking anybody think about tying themselves off to their boat, right? Do we got anybody that 
uses like a leash, like a surfboard leash or something like yeah. that to tie themselves to the boat? Yeah. Okay. Follow yeah, up to I that. Do when I, go, I do when I go offshore. When I, uh, when I take the kayak off the beach, I, I definitely tether myself off to the boat because uh, I've been, I mean, between surfing when I was younger, bodyboarding, whatever, I mean, boogieboarding, whatever, Inevitably, you get you, if you're not wearing a leash, you get you get separated from your board, and you'd be amazed how quickly something can float away from you when you're on the ocean. And one of the things that I talked to a buddy of mine about, who fishes off our beaches quite regularly, um, he actually got rolled because of a boat weight going by, and he wasn't tethered off to his boat. So what happened was, as soon as his boat turned over. It will turn him over. It was a ride. Uh, it was a ride 135, so it didn't flip all the way. It didn't turtle, but it got up on its side, you know, to that to that stopping stopping point that that boat has enough to slide him off the seat. So he slid off the seat, went in the water. By the time he come back up, because he wasn't wearing a PFD, he looked over and the boat. And it was a little breezy. The boat's just blowing blowing away from him. And he had a swim. He was like he's he thought he was Michael Phelps. He's like I was swimming like Michael Phelps trying to catch up to my boat. And that's true. I mean, think about it. These things, especially some of these bigger boats, again, going back to the bigger boats there, nowadays the freeboard on them is a little bit higher than it used to be. It doesn't have quite the low profile as it used to. And they, they drift fast, especially if there's any kind of current moving. So, yeah, I, I it's, my tether is, is basically just a piece of string. It's a, like a crab trap line, and I usually hook it onto my belt loop on my fishing pants. I have a... Uh, like a climber's crevice thing, and I hooked that onto my belt loop and the other, and I hooked onto the seat of the boat. So, you know, if I should fall in, I'm tethered to. I'm not going to lose it. So if we if we're down in the bio lab area and we see a big, you know, 18 foot crocodile swimming around with a string coming out of his mouth and a PA 14 hanging on the other end of it, we know where Chuck went, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. I'm not worried about it in the in the lagoon. I can stand up and run after my boat, but you know, off the beach, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a, a very valuable tool. And as that side of this industry is growing in popularity, and Chris knows that all too well up there in the Panhandle, especially those guys are killing it up there. I think we're going to see, unfortunately, more and more events where guys have uh, life or death type situations out there. Because, you know, going back to safety, this is something I bring up all the time, and quite frankly, I've been ridiculed for it a number of times on forums, and, you know, it is what it is. But uh, if you go off a beach, if you go out in the ocean and go out in the Gulf of Mexico and you don't have a flare kit and you don't have a VHF and you don't have an, a spare GPS and, you know, you don't have any of those tools with you, an air horn, uh, something other than a whistle, you know, you're 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 taking your life in your own hands if something should go bad. You're just wrong, you know, right? And, well, and and you know, if and when you explain to somebody, sit them down, and explain to them. Okay, cool. That that sounds good. Yeah. How far off are you planning on going? Oh, two miles or so. Okay, cool. Two miles. Yeah. Blow your whistle two miles off the beach and see if anybody hears you. Because <laughs> they're not gonna. I promise you that. Nobody standing along the shoreline is going to hear your little whistle being blown when you're two miles off the beach. But they'll see a flare. Yeah. You know? And an anchor. That's the other thing, too. And, and that's something that a lot of us don't carry with us because we don't think about it. We may have stakeout poles, you know, power pole now, but 
stakeout pole, whatever, um, without a, a true anchor, uh, how, do you, how do you plan on stopping yourself so someone can come find you if, if you should get separated from your paddle? You know, or if your mirage drive breaks or your propel breaks and you don't have a paddle with you for whatever reason and you need somebody to come get you. If you keep drifting, by the time the Coast Guard gets the information that you're lost or you need help, you've probably drifted another half mile by the time they get anywhere near where they thought you might be. So, you know, being able to anchor in deep water, um, that's an important thing. I mean, I think Isaac, going way back when Isaac had his show, he would talk about using one of those extension cord rolls, right, to put, what, like 300 feet or 400 feet of anchor line on, on the thing. Yeah, he carried like hey. 600 feet of anchor line. Yeah, crazy. yeah, something crazy like that. So, But, you know, if 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 you're planning on going offshore or, or going into a deep bay or in the Chesapeake or wherever, and you're going to be so far off from your launch point to where if something goes wrong, paddle-wise, mirage drive-wise, propel-wise, or whatever, and you can't, or you just can't physically make it back or you're having some kind of a, a medical emergency, you got to be able to give them an accurate pinpoint location of where you are, you know, yep. and you anchor, you look at your GPS, you're not moving, you tell you got your VHF radio, which should work, you tell them where you are, and as they start getting closer, fire flare up, and they can see you from a mile away, you know, or actually further than that, but it's a lot better than the standard issue U.S. Coast Guard approved PFD whistle, a, a light device if you're out pre-dawn or whatever, you know, the standard things that you're supposed to have regardless, you know. It's worth the extra couple bucks in a dry bag to put that stuff in there so that you know you get home safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I know as uh, one of our members here who was a uh, rescue swimmer, how easy is it to see somebody in a small kayak out in offshore? Mr. Becker. Sorry, I was distracted by something else in the room. Say again. Oh, no worries. Um, so how easy is it to see a kayak from a rescue vehicle in the, Not. In the open water? <laughs> Not. Um, yeah. it's, it's amazing how much the perspective changes. Um, you know, even once you get a little bit off the water, um, things that uh, – that was actually a decision, the part of a decision, frankly, in, in the color of my new boat was visibility on the water, not only to other boats, but to, you know, to in an emergency situation. Um, it, it, it's amazing, and there's no way to describe it until you've seen it, but just the amount of visual clutter that that is on the water, even if you're a distance away uh, in a boat or if you're in the, you know, if you're in a helicopter or, or an airplane looking for something like that, the amount of visual clutter that's there, unless there's something that specifically makes it stand out um, even a trained eye has a difficult time picking out something, uh, an object like that in the water, especially yeah. something the size of a kayak is not very big, especially no. when you're talking about the distances that uh, that you're looking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, we, you know, when you we were flying, we had these cool camouflage covers on our helmet, but as soon as you got out of your airplane, you could quickly pull that camouflage cover off, and it was with that real shiny DOT tape, you know, that was all over your helmet, so that a searchlight through the water, you know, you would glow down there. I mean, it, it's very difficult to see somebody in the water, and and also we have someone else on the line here, 
who had an issue with somebody who swamped a boat when they were in a bad in a pass somewhere. How's that, Rob? How's that event? Yeah. Oh God, that was uh, not a good day, man. That was definitely not a good day. Um, I had a yeah that happened at the uh, west end of the jetty on uh, San, uh, San Clearwater Pass with your San Key, which is about a hundred yards offshore. Uh, so, so yeah, you're, you're, here we go. Yeah. So as Chuck said, you know, people yeah. saying, oh, I'm just going a mile or two miles off the beach. You, were, you weren't yeah. even 100 yards off the beach, right? <laughs> yes. And, yeah, he, he uh, a, a breaker just broke over his uh, sit-in side kayak, and uh, he disappeared, you know. Came back up, and he was uh, holding on to his paddle for dear life, which was, Tethered to uh, with a with a uh, what do you call it a, a paddle leash and uh, that was the only way that you know I just paddled him over to the jetty. He lost his shoes, lost all of his fishing gear, and it happened that fast. You know, I mean, it was just that fast. You know, as fast as a, a, a wave breaking over top of you. And and this this gentleman that you were out fishing with you would have considered him to be a normally level-headed, sane individual, right? Yeah, I was, he was, he, he did okay. Um, he was a little bit panicky, but uh, it was like, um, the, my biggest worry, I was afraid that he was going to, uh, I, I was afraid he was going to tip the kayak. Like, tip your boat over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but, and um, that was my, I, that was my point. I mean, you know, yeah. it's somebody who's not prepared and all of a sudden they find themselves in the water and in a difficult situation, you know, they're, now you got to worry about maybe getting two people in the water, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and I just kept telling him. I, I mean, I stayed level. I, I was really very calm, and I just kept telling him in a calm voice, hey, hey, dude, relax. We'll get you out of here, man. You're good. You're okay. And, you know, just like that, and he was fine. Hey, Chip, on that note, if you're approaching somebody in the water, if you're approaching a single person in the water with your kayak, always try to bring them onto the bow of the boat and have them hang onto the bow. It's much harder for them to tip you or roll you over, uh, and it's easier for you to control the boat if you can have them grab onto the bow and you can, you know, back paddle whatever you need to do. Uh, if you approach them and bring them onto the side or try to grab a hold of them, they've now got all the leverage on the boat, all the leverage on you, and uh, it's a lot easier for them to put you both in the water. Absolutely. I was thinking you were saying, you know, it's easier if you keep them on the bow, then you can get a good solid swing with your paddle to knock them off. <laughs> well, not, not, actually, you know, I almost did say that, actually, so get out of my head. Is it Groundhog Day yet? Um, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that if if they do start freaking out, uh, and it's a matter of you have to move them off the boat, it's a lot easier to just slide their hands off the boat with your paddle than yeah. to try and, you know, uh, beat them into submission with it if they're if they're holding <laughs> on to you and trying to drag you in. That's right. You can't get as much leverage when your hands are real close together on the paddle. So it's easier when they're out there and you get a good swing on them. So keep Absolutely. them away. <laughs> no, that's. Uh, I mean, you know, and the and the guys who uh, who are doing the whitewater stuff and all. I mean, you see. They've they've been doing it a little bit longer. The, the the tourers and stuff. I mean, they have these little, they have these kind of cool little uh, 
flotation devices that they put on the ends of their paddles, you know, so that they can stabilize their kayak and stuff. And, and I mean, you know, and honestly, you know, it, it, it may look dorky to always have your PFD on. Uh, it may sound silly for us to be telling you, yeah, put your kayak in the pool and fall out of it and try to get back in it and stuff. But, I mean, we started off talking about cold weather, and it all comes down to staying dry. And, you know, you're in a boat that is typically not very stable. And I'm telling you, I don't care what the manufacturers say about stability of a kayak. Every kayak can flip over, especially if your buddy is standing there and pulls to save his camera case and dips you off into the water. I mean, that that just happens, you know. <laughs> it can happen. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that sounds like That's one it. of them hypotheticals. It's a hypothetical Listen, situation. It's, it's not my fault that the gravitational pull <laughs> they grabbed a hold of your dome and and made you go over the other. Anyway, listen. That was it. Was Here, funny. Tim, try this kayak, man. Flip me over. Yes, yeah, oh. sit in the high position from you know, <laughs> the boat from, from two foot of water into the high position. Don't even try it in low. Just go straight That's to high it. and make sure you lean the big door ahead of yours over the side <laughs> as far as you possibly can. No. Um, Mr. Becker actually brought up a really good point uh, when he was talking about the color of his boat. Um, I, I actually switched um, colors of boats for this year. Um, and the reason why is because a friend of mine took a picture of a buddy who we were all at the middle motor zone. And uh, he took a picture of a buddy of mine with a redfish. And in the background, you can just barely, just barely pick out me and my, and my kayak. And the only reason why you saw me is because I'm 235 pounds now and wearing, wearing a, a pink boa. Right. Pink and, boa gives away. You, yeah, you couldn't see, but you couldn't see my tune colored PA because it just blended into the background. So it looked like I was almost like just floating on water. And so uh, I decided this year that I'm going to go with the uh, the yellow PA it, 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 uh, instead because I plan on doing a bit more offshore stuff this year. And, um, man, I want to be visible, as visible as possible. But, yeah, it's, you were talking about stability. Yeah. yeah. So, Somebody will find a way to fall out of anything. We, we've right. seen it at demo so, days a million times. <laughs> so there was a, there was a magazine that my wife and I subscribed to called Sea Kayaker, and they just stopped publication this month was their last issue, and they always had a safety article in the – magazine of people doing really stupid things than no one owning up to it and you know visibility of the boat one is for those who are trying to rescue you but if you get a guy in a powerboat and you're not in a no motor zone and the guy's a little drunk and there's been more than one instance of child in kayak that was not a high vis kayak and powerboat run over kayak and sometimes child makes it out of it and they just had some kid Kid got killed and he was in a camouflage kayak, run over by a motorboat, and the guy only got a year in jail. And he killed the kid in the kayak. So, yeah. you know, the visibility, that. even though, you know, I don't, and personally, I've got a yellow kayak and I've got a blue kayak. No reason I have a blue kayak, it was on sale. But this whole, all these camouflage that are gray and brown, and I don't, I don't see those being good kayak colors, even though. You know, orange and yellow and bright lime green don't look really cool. The bright pink, I think, is highly visible. But, you know, there's you get in trouble, someone's got to find you. You get in trouble because a motorboat 
can't see you, especially a high bow, anything with a high bow, any center cone with a big front bow, bow and you're yep. offshore and three or four or six foot, they're never going to see you. If you're one of those, any kind of neutral color boat, tan, blue, olive, they're not going to see you. You know? I got a, so it's, I it's got a, a number. For you too. It's a, Go ahead. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, I had to run. But one of the things that uh, I noticed the last time I hit the lagoon and it was foggy out was there was a group of probably five or six kayakers that left well before what I would consider safe light, and not one of them had a 360 light on their kayak. Now, Florida law doesn't require you to have a 360-degree light on your kayak unless you're in places like Port Canaveral where they live by a different set of rules and you have to have a 360. But I've actually talked to a number of people from the Coast Guard here at, out at Port Canaveral, and I'm trying to figure out how I can go about seeing if they can change that rule to where, yes, indeed, if you go out early, uh, pre-dawn, pre-true sunrise, that, or be out you know, at, at night or in the evening, you have to have a 360 because I'm telling you right now, in the Mosquito Lagoon, somebody's going to die, period, flat out. A kayaker's going to end up getting killed in the Mosquito Lagoon because these guys in these flat boats know the waterway like the back of their hand. So they, when they run in a flat, they're running in two foot of water. They know exactly where they need to run. So they, it, it could be as foggy as it needs to be. They, they've been, they were there yesterday. They know there's no obstructions in the water. And these guys will run 40 and 50 miles an hour across the flat. When it's, when it's crazy foggy on the Mosquito Lagoon, you can't see 20 feet in front of you. And regardless of what color your kayak is, you know, it, it doesn't make a difference at that point. But if you've got a 360-degree light, at least you have a chance that they might be able to see you before they hit you. I'm telling you, I, and I shake my head every time I see these guys go, and most of the time I try to make it a point to catch up to them and tell them, look, none of you guys have a 360-degree light. You guys, I couldn't even see you from, from, the, from the ramp. You know, it's it's just dangerous, man. And you can make your own. They're cheap to make. You can buy one that's pre-made. Uh, you know, Yak Gear makes a great 360-degree light. Um, of course, Luther has a great light as well. You, you just it, it, It's a cheap investment, just like buying a, a nice quality PFD. It's a, safety, it's a piece of safety equipment that could save your life one day because, quite frankly, the boaters, especially here in Florida, especially here in central Florida on the East Coast, they look at us like speed bumps, man. They don't. They, they don't even. It's not the second thought in their mind that there could be a kayaker sitting around the corner when they come blasting around at 45 miles an hour. So, hey Chuck, yeah, I got a question Yo. for you. Talking about Florida law, I thought I had read somewhere in the Florida boating regulations that any craft on the water had to have an anchor. Any craft in salt water had to have an anchor with 50 feet of anchor line, whether it's canoe, kayak, small boat, any kind of boat, sailboat that that was a mandatory safety item in the state of Florida now, 50-foot anchor line and an anchor. Did I read that incorrectly? I, I believe I believe that they've, they've just changed the law to that. It wasn't the law last year. Um, it, was a, it was a recommendation for canoes and kayaks, anything without power. Um, it was a recommendation, but it was indeed law for anything that had power on the back of it. But it wasn't, I think, in fact, I think at one time it was like 150 foot of anchor rope, but... Um, you know, it's interesting because depending upon which agency you talk to, especially here, and we, we're like the worst about it because we have like 15 different uh, governing bodies that, that watch over our intercoastal waterway. 
between uh, between local municipalities, the sheriff's office, FWC, um, port port authority near the port, um, coast guard, whatever. So depending upon who you run into that day, we'll we'll tell you kind of what you are and aren't allowed to have. We were out fishing in Port Canaveral one night. I had a headlamp and a 360-degree light, and a couple of my buddies didn't have a 360-degree light. So one of the guys comes racing up to us, puts his blue lights on, pulls all of our driver's license, runs us off for warrants just to check. And um, what was I going to say? He made the other guys, the other four guys I was fishing with, go back to the dock and put their boats up and go home because they didn't have a 360-degree light. Now, Florida law, the actual Florida law reads that any boat without power only has to have a torch. And by torch, by the definition of torch, by them, could be a flashlight, could be a headlamp, could be anything that emits light. It doesn't have to stay on. If, a, if there's an approaching vessel, it needs to go on. So they see that you're on, you, they see you're on anchor. It's got to be white. So, you know, uh, I don't know. They, it, you, like, again, like I say, you talk to a couple different people and, and a couple different agencies, they'll have a different answer for you. But I'm actually hoping to get, um, I had a guy come by the shop the other day who's with the, the Coast Guard Auxiliary out of Port Canaveral and he wants to come on the show and kind of talk about, you know, safety things and, and, and basically what we're talking about now um, for kayakers because they see it too. They know it's going to happen. They know eventually someone's going to get either run over by a boat or some dude's going to get separated from his boat off the beach or something bad's going to happen, I and mean, it's only a matter of time. So um, actually, and truth be told, we lost uh, two kayakers off our beaches in the last five years. So... You know, and nobody knows whatever happened to them. They were never, they were never found. Uh, the boats washed up on the beach, and that was that. So, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, it, I think I think things are going to start changing with the popularity of the sport. You know, I really do. I think that we're going to see a few more rules and regulations come down the pipe. And hey, it is what it is. It's just it's the, the growth of the sport's going to bring that as well. So. Yep. And uh, next week we'll be talking about the new Yak Attack uh, device for mounting a 50 cal on the front of your kayak. So, uh, <laughs> which does you know, change the center of gravity a little bit. So there's a feed. Uh, there's a whole new feed system that allow you to belt feed up through your hatch. That's right. Exactly. Absolutely. You so. know, Chip. One thing we didn't talk about or I didn't hear yet is if you're out in cold weather and really. If you're going out in the ocean or if you're in cold weather, something that could do you harm, you know, file a float plan with someone you know, and even better, make sure you have a, you know, go out in twos or threes and file a float plan. Tell people where you're going to be, more or less, given, given some time and space for variations, but, you know, when you're leaving, when you're coming back, the areas you're going to be in, and if you don't show up at time, someone knows to call the Coast Guard to come looking for you, right? Absolutely. The buddy system is the best way to deal with that. And, and, you know, I mean, if nothing else, you know, at least tell your better half, you know, you know, somebody, hey, I'm going to be going fishing tonight and give them an idea where you're at so that, you know, when you don't show up. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, hey, if I'm not here by 10 o'clock, you know, but at least, you know, I mean, if you if you are going offshore, if you're going to be night fishing, something like that, you really need to do a float plan. It's it's not a big deal. I mean, uh, it, and it's it's just the the it's if you're sitting out there hanging on to a swamped boat and and trying to stay afloat in the dark a couple of miles offshore when the 
you know, the prevailing currents are taking you to uh, South Texas from the panhandle of Florida, uh, and you're thinking, boy, when when was the last time I told somebody I was going fishing? How long will it take before somebody figures out I'm not there? You know, and if you change your, you know, if you change your plans, you get to a, a you're put in your launch point, and it's, you know, it's blown out with wind or something. You say I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, just everybody's got a cell phone these days. You know, pick up the phone and go, hey, we're going to go over to this place. You know, change your flow plan. Keep up with it. It's not a big deal. It's not like you have to have a specified form or anything like that. But just tell somebody you're going somewhere. And I really, I mean, it's more fun to fish with people. I mean, unless, you know, they're uh, real noisy like me. Chris is like... uh, the guy who died there at Christmas, girlfriend had him 30 miles away searching for him. They were in the pass, and she had him up in the black water searching. Yeah, so, I mean, they were in the wrong place looking for a guy, you know. So, and the response times, it's really tough. Yeah, it's not good, and it's, uh, so, well, we kind of uh, we kind of went around the subject, and it's, man, we only got a few more minutes before the princess here is going to kick us off the air. Um but guys, I really appreciate you calling in. Uh guess Rob had to go. Is going to grab some beauty sleep or go hang out with uh the big filmmakers and stuff. We appreciate Rob, the Bad Back Cast Devore showing up. Folks, if you're listening, check out his work at Yaktastic Videos. He's got a YouTube channel. Check it out. Chris, thanks for joining us there. Guests, uh Tennessee Creek Bridges, we appreciate you showing up. And uh my uh uh, friends from up there in Tennessee, the uh, Bass Yackers and uh, Chattanooga Chummers. Good luck in kayak fishing wars or kayak wars. We're, uh, we'll be watching you. And uh, Chuck's going to kick off the week uh, on Monday nights there. Right, Chuck? What do you got coming up for us next week, man? Uh, next week. Next week we're going to go over um, this weekend's uh, fishing events and uh, – what else are we talking about? We got something else we're supposed to talk about. Oh, hopefully I'll have Alan and Peppy both on board um, for the show this time. It seems like I keep going back and forth with my co-host. You know, one day, one week I got Peppy, one week I got Alan, but it works out. Um, you know, we want to start getting a little bit more into uh, techniques and tactics of how to find fish and you know specific things like that. So if any of you guys listening to Chip Show want to tune into my show and or have been tuning into my show. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns when it comes to our show, things you'd like to hear us talk about, what have you, you always hit me up on Facebook or just shoot me an email at redfishchuck at hotmail.com. Roger that. And uh, if you haven't uh, heard or if you're listening to the podcast and you're saying, man, how come you guys haven't come out here? Well, we're, we're, we're trying. In fact, we've got a new Tuesday night host and our buddy uh, Jaron Wozel from uh, – from uh, Central Texas there, Austin Kayak. He's uh, hosting a show for us on Tuesday nights. It's at 9 o'clock Central, or 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, Easy for those people who live in a different time zone to figure out. But check it out, and uh, he's doing a great job. He he talks a lot about offshore fishing. He's got some great insight on on gear and techniques. Uh, Show him some support there. Mr. Becker, thank you, sir, for, uh, for... helping me out on the boards here. And uh, I think that yakangler.com forward slash TBFS is still open as the uh, Coastal Angler article hit the pages yet. 
Uh, actually, the coastal angler hit uh, 50,000 magazines today in the east coast uh, or west coast, rather, of Florida, and uh, may or may not be picked up by the national uh, broadcast. But yep, the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim fundraising is still open and will remain open. So, uh, as Chip said, yakangler.com/tbfs to donate. All right, buddy, and uh, thanks for helping out, uh, Jim. Uh, try to stay warm up there on the north side, man. There's uh, probably at least a 10-degree temperature drop. <laughs> Don't even want to talk about it. All right, man. And we'll see you guys next week. Uh, have a good night. Take a kid fishing. We'll talk to you next time. Kayak Fishing Radio. We're gone. <laughs>